0: Today we continue our series God is and we've looked at God is Father, God is Son, the first and second person of the Trinity and today I want us to look at God is Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Ephesians chapter 1:13 through 14 read, "In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in him when you believe were sealed with the promised holy spirit." He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. This morning, I want us to look at the reality of the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit, and then the reason, uh, the holy, the, the reason for the Holy Spirit in, in our life. First of all, uh, some of this, we'll go back to verses that we've already talked about because we're trying to understand that doctrine of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God evident to us in in three realities. And so in Job 33 verse 4, the Old Testament affirms the reality of the Holy Spirit. It says, the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The Holy Spirit came to this earth, in Pentecost on the believers, but the Holy Spirit, like Jesus, pre-existent. The Old Testament testifies to His reality. The baptism of Jesus we've talked about in both of these last two services. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately He went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to Him, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Him. In that passage, very important passage, very important day in, in Jesus' life on this earth when he was baptized, you have God the Son being obedient to God the Father and then receiving the presence of God the Spirit and then hearing the voice of God the Father say, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So the baptism of Jesus also affirms the reality of the holy spirit Matthew 28:19 we've brought up the last couple of weeks it's our commission the great commission it's what god has charged you and me and the church to do and to carry out go therefore and make disciples of all nations and then when we make disciples what are we to do just as Jesus was baptized, we are to baptize. And in the same way, recognizing Father, Son, and Spirit in Jesus' bapti- baptism, we are to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the Great Commission affirms the reality of the Holy Spirit. And then the mystery and the power of the Holy Spirit are seen in John chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So we have Old Testament and New Testament, the life of Jesus, the commission of the believer, all of them testifying to the reality of the Holy Spirit. But what in the world does this Holy Spirit do in our life and for us? And uh, again, I don't pretend that this is uh, exhaustive on the work of the Holy Spirit, but I think it gives you a body broad enough to understand how important the Spirit's work and life is in your life. In John chapter 14, verse 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, helper is another term, another name for the Holy Spirit, or comforter, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So not only does the Holy Spirit help you understand the Word of God, the Holy Spirit helps you remember the Word of God. You're in the office, and a new hire is given a a desk adjacent to yours. He's of a, a different ethnicity and a different religion than you, and And you're thinking, I just don't want to get uh, mixed up and messed up with with this and get crossways with someone. So I'll just live and let live. Just let them alone and and not go introduce myself. And maybe that's your first thought. But I'll stay out of his way and hope that he stays out of my way. You're, You're thinking that as well, perhaps. And then you get this prompting in your heart. And that prompting is to get up from where you are, to go, to cross the room, to introduce yourself, welcome Him to the office, and begin that relationship. That's the prompting of God's Holy Spirit in your life. And I think there's a lot of times God prompts us, and we push that prompting out. We don't want Him to urge us into an area outside of our our comfort zone. But when you feel that in your heart, I I need to to begin a relationship there. I need to start praying that the the same spirit that's prompting me to go speak to this person will begin opening up doors in that relationship to the point that one day I can tell them about Jesus, my Savior. He is the prompter. Second, He is the convictor. John 16, 7 and 8 says, Nevertheless... I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now imagine this. The 12 disciples are there and they've seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. They've seen him multiply one boy's lunch and feed 5,000 people. In fact, they saw it happen again. He fed 4,000 people. They've seen him... Uh, heal a crippled person that was let down through a roof in the uh, hole in the roof that friends had made to get this person to Jesus they they've seen they've seen him do miracle after miracle calm the storm at sea walk on the water and he says it is good that I should go and I'm thinking no we need someone like you around us all the time and he says no it's Good that I should go. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. That's the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send the Spirit to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Not only does the Spirit come and he can be present with all believers at all times because he's not bound by a physical body as Jesus was when he walked on this earth, but he comes to convict us. And so you cross the line. Oh, it was a small step, nothing major. But you start to feel guilty, and then you brush it off. Everyone else is doing it. What does it hurt? And they don't seem bothered at all, but the nagging feeling just won't go away. What's that? That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. The Holy Spirit who loves you enough to not let go of you even when you've crossed the line. He's pricking your conscience to bring you back, to back in obedience to the Father. Number three, the Holy Spirit is the controller. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Imagine this scenario. There's a division in the church. It happens because some are jealous of others on different things. And they start promoting a little strife in the fellowship out of their jealousy. They're friends, and you don't want to disappoint, want to disappoint these friends, but you recognize their jealousy. You see that their actions are, are causing strife. They want you to join the action, but something inside you reminds you that you are the temple of God. God lives in you. And when you promote strife in Christ's church, you're destroying yourself as well because you're part of that temple. And that voice inside, that feeling that won't go away, that nagging that won't let you join the strife-causing actions of these jealous friends. Where does that come from? That's the Holy Spirit living in you, indwelling in you, controlling your life, letting him control you rather than your own emotions or your own desires or even your own friendships to control you. Christ in you can control you in those upsetting circumstances. Number four, he's the rewarder of wisdom. First Corinthians two, ten through thirteen. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. I'm sure you've been here. The situation is beyond your pay grade. It requires the wisdom of Solomon. You stop and you pray and you listen. And you read God's Word and you wait on the Lord and you seek godly counsel from other wise men and women in your life. And you pray more and then then God rewards you with wisdom beyond your years and the confidence to act on that wisdom. That's none other than the Holy Spirit rewarding you with God's wisdom when you take the time to pray and seek His face and to study His Word and to seek others He's put around you for that wisdom. That's the work of the sweet Holy Spirit. Next, he's a truth teller. In uh, John 16, 13, it says, When the Spirit of truth comes, that's the way Jesus describes the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. You know, everyone thinks that they have the truth. All you have to do is walk around the office, walk around the neighborhood, walk around your circle of friends outside the church, and, and you find everyone knows the truth, and everyone's ready to download that truth to you. But something doesn't feel right. You're still conflicted. It just doesn't make sense in your heart. You pray, and you listen for that still, small voice And when you hear it, the truth becomes clear. That's the Holy Spirit speaking into the life of a believer who will allow truth of God's Word to be spoken into their life. Holy Spirit is a gift giver. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 11, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues and all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills you notice it in others perhaps before you notice it in yourself you're amazed at how wise sam is or how much faith susan has or jim prays and you've seen it happen more than once that 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 a friend is healed or things just happen sharon Sharon is smart, but it's more than book sense or even common sense. She seems to understand some of the most complex spiritual situations and bring reason and order to a chaotic world. And then finally, perhaps you begin to notice it even in yourself. You're reading God's Word more and more, and you have this clarity about direction in your life like you've never had before. That's the Holy Spirit. Gifting you, not only for your benefit, but for the benefit of the lives that you impact with every action, every decision that you make. The Holy Spirit is the great gift giver. All, All of the gifts that we see exhibited in our church, whether it's your teacher's ability to teach, musician's ability to inspire us to worship God, whatever it is, that's the gift giver. Giving the church the different gifts needed to live in this world in a, in a victorious way. And, and then the Holy Spirit is the signature sealer. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. We read a minute ago. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us have been here before. I was talking to a, a repairman who came to the house the other day and he was of a, a different denomination and found out I was a pastor and we began to talk and, and he was transparent and honest and he said, you know, I, there was a time in my life that I doubted very much the reality of Jesus and God worked in his life. That's the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13, the Holy Spirit gives you confidence that your salvation is secure. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is the man who said, Father, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That is praying for God's Spirit to work that confidence in your life. And the Holy Spirit is your interceder. Uh, Likewise, it says the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of god that's romans 8 26 and 27 the heartbreak is real and you just can't take it you're stuck You don't know which way to turn. You don't even know what question to ask. It hurts. And you feel no hope. Hopelessness just overwhelms you. But you're a believer. And when you believed, God gave you the Holy Spirit. It's not something that comes later on with more maturity. No, God gives the brand new believer the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit on your side, praying to the Father, even when you have no words, no understanding. Father, I don't even know what to ask for in this situation. Father, I have no clue which way to turn and what you want me to do. I don't know what to ask. I don't know how to express how I feel, what's going on inside. God's Holy Spirit, the Scripture says, is praying to the Father, interceding on your behalf, even when you don't know what to say. And then the Holy Spirit is a great rescuer. In Romans 8, 10 through 11, it says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. That's Jesus' righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's the Holy Spirit living in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit is your great rescuer and then he's the fruit producer. Galatians 5:16 through 25 says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality and idolatry and sorcery and enmity and strife and jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit, he's the great fruit producer, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy, and peace, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You know, you could translate that maybe even a little more accurately if we are made alive by the Spirit, it is the Spirit that breathes life into us, then let us walk by that same Spirit as well. The setting is dark. The situation is horrible. The support you feel around you is weak, if not completely absent. And everyone else is doing their own thing. That's the world we find ourselves in often. But you find yourself staying the course, living above it, even though you're in the middle of it. And beyond that, you feel a peace and even a joy. In the midst of strife, you feel peace and joy that is real. And you exhibit a love and a patience that others begin to notice as well. You know it's not you. You're too selfish to feel that way, to think that way, to live that way. But you find yourself living that way. And others want to know, what is it about you? Well, what is it about you? It is the Holy Spirit living in you that by the grace of God, you can do those things that you're called to do. That in your natural person, natural self, without the help of the Holy Spirit, without the grace of God, you have no. Ability to pull off yourself. So let me close with this. How in the world do you and I respond to the Holy Spirit? First, I want to suggest that we need to be bold and boast. Be bold and boast. Where in the world does that come from? Acts chapter 1.8. One of the main verses for our mission here at First Baptist Church. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It says when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. God wants us not just going to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants us doing it with boldness. Because we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when we are bold, it's not because we're strong. It's not because we're great. It's not because we're better than someone else. It's because it's the Holy Spirit living in us that gives us that boldness. Now, not only are we to be bold, but we are to boast. Now, we need to be careful. But I think 1 Corinthians 1.31 will help you understand. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast. boast in the Lord. When you go out on that witness all around the world in boldness, let your boldness be proclaiming the good works of Jesus Christ. Boast of Christ, what he's done for you. Don't let others look at your life of boldness and say, wow, you're a powerful person. No, that is Jesus, God's Holy Spirit in me. Boast about what Jesus has done for you. And then finally, be filled and yield. Ephesians chapter 5, 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. You know, a, a lot of people misunderstand that term, be filled with the Holy Spirit. and They ask, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And the best answer I ever received in all my life was, Dale Moody at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary when I was a student working on my master's. And, uh, you know, as, as a Baptist in a Baptist seminary, uh, we were well aware that a lot of Baptists are worried about studying and preaching about the Holy Spirit because people might think we're Pentecostal. And that's a sad thing, but that was a, a reality because perhaps we saw their excitement enthusiasm and that wasn't our culture and how we praise god and and they talked about being filled with the holy spirit and you must not be filled or you'd be dancing in the pews like we are and stuff like that and so a lot of times we just did not even touch hardly the subject of holy spirit afraid that we might you know go in some direction that we shouldn't go but to be filled with the holy spirit doesn't mean that i have more of the holy spirit To be filled with the Holy Spirit means the Holy Spirit has more of me. I want you to think of that alcohol in the bottle. It's in a bottle. Your body doesn't have any of it. But you can choose to fill your body with that alcohol. And you do. And when you fill that body with alcohol and continue until you're drunk, inebriated, until... What? You are controlled by the alcohol, not by yourself. That alcohol has filled your life. God's word says, do not be filled with alcohol. Do not be filled with wine. But what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that you can boast, I've got more of the Holy Spirit than you? No. So that the Holy Spirit can control So, not only must we be filled with the Spirit so that He controls us, we need to intentionally yield. We need to intentionally obey. We need to say, Okay, God, what is Your will? And I'm going to yield to Your way in my life. How do we respond to the Holy Spirit? Be bold and boast. Be filled and yield.